Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way, I'd take back all those misplays that cost me the game. Great song. Good song made better with magic updated lyrics. What's up, everybody? You're watching slash listening, unfortunately, to the Command Zone podcast singing. As always, I don't think anything is ever going to be Unfortunately, our, our because book. of the singing, we <laughs> yeah. totally jumped the shark with the last episode. We're never going to top yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody with no. the whole team. Yeah. With the editing and all that. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai, and we are here with a very special guest. How's it? Craig Blanchett. Whoa, how's it? How's it? I know, I'm stealing. Mm. <laughs> we Whoa. got Mr. In. I've been here for too long. Yeah. Love him or hate him, you certainly do have an opinion about Craig, his rings, and the infect. But Craig is joining us today uh, to, to, to talk about some mistakes that we've made in the past and whether or not we can learn from them. Right. So uh, one of my favorite quotes, I think I've mentioned on the show a few times, mm-hmm. but it is that it is a wise person indeed who can learn from another's mistakes. Ah, Usually you have to learn from your own mistakes. I think one of the ways, one of the best ways that we can get better at magic is sort of going back and looking at things we've done during games where maybe we could have made better decisions. Maybe we could have made other decisions. Right. Maybe there were other lines we could have taken. And if you never kind of go back and analyze that stuff, I think that you can kind of hit a plateau where you sort of stop getting better, especially at the gameplay part of magic which is the part we don't talk about enough we always talk about deck building yeah we talk about deck building it's hard to analyze gameplay too because you need to sometimes it feels like you have to be in the moment to see what's going on uh we are going to be talking about a lot of cards today and situations though so make sure that you check out cardkingdom.com slash command zone they are the sponsors of this show and all of your purchases on that website whether you're buying cards sleeves deck boxes play mats or all the new sets that are coming out lots of cool stuff being announced cardkingdom.com slash command zone gets it to you fast and quick and exactly at the quality you order that yeah at the time you're watching this unsanctioned the new uh, boxed product is almost here so you can definitely order that right now cardkingdom.com slash command zone and if you do get unsanctioned or any other cards or magic paraphernalia you're going to want to keep that stuff in really good condition and the best way to do that is to protect it with ultra pro products they make eclipse sleeves they make all the theme sleeves that go along with each each set yeah they have the cool constellation art from theros and a lot of their stuff they also have play mats 
deck boxes. They really do make the best stuff to protect your stuff. So again, by supporting Ultra Pro, you are supporting all of our content. Yeah, you'll see a lot of that stuff. We'll be showing some board states in this episode. And every time you see those cool uh, backs of our decks, well, that's all Ultra Pro product. And the last way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. We love our patrons. We talk to them on Discord. We send them episodes of Game Nights a day early, and they are our most special supporters. And we shout one of them out each episode. So this week's episode is dedicated, dedicated to Augustus, Augustus Ward. Ward. Augustus, you rock. You truly do. Uh one thing before we jump into the main topic here, we're going to be using a lot of scenarios and situations that were in previous Game Nights episodes to kind of set the stage, to analyze, to look at play mistakes or errors that maybe we made or other players in Game Nights made. Mm-hmm. But I want to say really quick, um, in just a couple of days, the new Game Nights will be out. <gasps> and it is featuring that unsanctioned product. We got <gasps> Olivia Gobert-Hicks and Tappy Toe Claws, <gasps> a.k.a. Sydney who were just recently co-hosted an episode of the Command Zone with Ashlyn. Yeah. You can probably gather that they were all in town for game nights, <laughs> game you know? Nights, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you're very good at investigative journalism, you might figure that out. One of my favorite comments was like, hey, what are, who are these new non-Ashlyn uh, and <laughs> Olivia and Tappy uh, podcast hosts? Their singing went downhill. I was like, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, keep an eye out for that episode of Game Nights. And if you're watching this a couple days after it's come out, well, Game Nights might be out. So definitely check it out. It's a good one. It's a fun one. Okay. Main topic time. Learn from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always say it because it's true. Magic content in general, not just ours. I think everybody's just focuses too much on the deck building part of the game and not enough on the gameplay, decision making, what order you do stuff, what you choose to do when you have choices. We just don't talk about that enough. Yeah, a lot of situations arise, and we get these questions all the time, too, where it's like, I was doing this, this, and this, and exactly this happened. It's like, well, it's really hard to actually analyze what's happening. We don't know what happened beforehand. We don't know what happened after. We don't know what decks are really being played and what's happening. So it's kind of hard to talk about those gameplay decisions. But thanks to Game Nights, thanks to Extra Turns, and thanks to all the other Commander gameplay content out there, we have a lot that we can actually analyze and look at and tell ourselves, hey, oh, interesting, maybe in this case something else would have been better. And, of course, the comments are very astute in addressing this all the time, talking to us as though we had foresight and knowledge of the past <laughs> and present and future in order to make the best play decision. We're all level five judges at all times. <laughs> yeah, at all times. <laughs> so we are going to use game night situations here to, talk, to uh, sort of analyze some gameplay decisions. But, I mean, hopefully a lot of you out there have seen most of these episodes. Mm-hmm. If you're like us, we were going through and watching some of these and sort of brushing up again because it's been a while. Yeah, Craig was going through a lot of the old episodes. We had Manson doing that. I was going through some of them. Jimmy's looked at them. We wouldn't expect you to just know all this stuff like the back of your hand because even we don't and we worked on that stuff for months. So we're going to try and we're going to try and get everybody up to speed. So even if you haven't seen the episodes, hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Um, But one big warning here is it's impossible to do this without some spoilers. So if there are episodes of Game Nights that you haven't seen and we start to talk about them, you should assume that we are going to spoil possibly the entirety of the episode. So if you haven't seen that, skip that part or pause it. Go watch that episode of Game Nights. Come back and then you, you'll you be right in the moment. It'll be perfect. Yeah, it's as though it's like it's like a live play-by-play almost. Um, and one disclaimer, uh, we all make mistakes when we play this game, me especially. I've made quite a few. Uh, and we're not going to be doing this to be like, that person was dumb or they made a mistake so they're a bad player. We all make mistakes. It's a very, very normal thing. And again, we are learning from our mistakes, as is the title of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. definitely we're not... Oh, go, go ahead. Hey, improper threat assessment is like a, just a common form of magic. I mean, we've all... every Almost every game, you're like, oh, wait, can I... You mind if I take that back real quick? Yeah. We realize that we've made a small mistake or something, but sometimes we don't catch them. And yeah, definitely anybody who we talk about and it will often be 
the people sitting here at this table. But if we mention anybody who's not here, we're not trying to say, yeah, they're a bad player or whatever. They made a mistake, and we're trying to use that to better our own game, learn from their mistake. Because all these mistakes are mistakes that definitely, if it's not me that we're talking about, I could have made that mistake. Like, yeah. I make mistakes all the time playing. So I feel like I'm constantly like, oh, why did I do that? Yeah, well, especially when you have to watch the game 50 yeah. times Yeah, when you edit them. All right, let's go to the first case study here. And this is from the most recent episode of Game Nights. That's number 33, the one from Theros Beyond Death. So we're going to set the scene here, and you'll all be familiar with it if you watch this episode. It's the very end of the game when we're down to two players only. It's Jimmy and myself. Ashlyn has been KO'd earlier, and I have just knocked out Krim. Almost made a comeback. Very close. Who got like a kind of a crazy quick board state, made a bunch of tokens, got scary. I knocked him out of the game. I play an Avenger of Zendikar. It makes 15 plant tokens. I play a land, so all those... Plant tokens become one twos. Uh, And then I pass the turn to Jimmy. I only have 14 cards in my library. And I'm holding up Plasm Capture, which we all know about. Mm -hmm. And this is some information that the audience hasn't known until now, but I'll I'll let you know. I had Rapid Hybridization in my hand, which is a destroys a creature. And so my game plan was I can counter anything really scary that Jimmy plays, and I could kill a creature because he had Embercleave... And I was feeling pretty confident. And of course, we all know what happened. Jimmy ends up milling me out on that turn and stealing the game from, you know, sort of out of nowhere there. Certain doom is what I stole the game from. I definitely was going to get KO'd immediately. And I think you did have, I think that's what everyone at the table knew too. It's like, well, Jimmy's got, what is he going to do on board? And he's going to swing out at Josh and try and kill him. Uh, the rest is history. I milled you out. I managed to make a bunch of copies of Ultra Dementia and turn them into the right creatures. So the real question is, did Josh mess up and make a mistake by not trying to kill me sooner? Some people even say that you should have gone after me instead of Krim that one turn, but I think you were correct in killing Krim because he was getting scary. So, there, yeah, there's two questions here. You know, how did I make a mistake there? Because it seemed like I had the game. Mm-hmm. And so there are two things that people kind of brought up. And the first one is, should I have tried to mill Jimmy out before passing the turn to him. So again, I only have 14 cards in my library. Um, astute watchers notice I had a myriad landscape in play. So that can go and fetch two lands, ostensibly make all of my plant tokens into three fours. There's 15 of them. That's 45 mm-hmm. right there because I had an alternate dimension. So Jimmy, we estimate, we didn't actually, I, I don't think we counted exactly, but somewhere around 70 cards uh, in his library. Again, I only have 14 but I have a Xenagos, I have a Torrential Gear Hulk, I have Avenger of Zendikar, I have, have a World Breaker, I have a Reclamation Sage. They've all got counters because of Great Henge. I'm pretty sure I could have gotten uh, under that circumstance. There's a couple. There's a couple things people aren't thinking of. But if if that all played out, it's possible I could have milled out Jimmy, passed the turn to him. He goes to draw his card, has no cards in the library, and loses the game and never has a chance to mill me. This is a really tough one. Um, I think there's a lot of question marks one around the math right i haven't really counted out my deck to you at this point it just looks big and i think a lot of times when when you see a deck that's really that full the milling out plan just isn't something that's in your head right uh so you're not going into passing the turn and you've had the game on such lockdown up until that point i think from your logical standpoint it made sense to do what you did which is i have answers and i have the game under control and the only thing that i think can kill me out of nowhere would be uh, a commander death right. or a commander like commander hitting me for a bunch of damage or somehow getting some crazy double strike trample in right and i destroyed your lightning greaves the turn earlier i wasn't worried because i can counter anything kill anything 
I'm definitely going to win on the next turn with the plant tokens. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, the mill thing is interesting, though. There's a couple of reasons. I, I do remember thinking about it in the time uh, at the table and disregarding it for two reasons. One is there's only 14 cards remaining in my library. Yes, Myriad Landscape will go get two basics of the same type, but I only have 14 cards in my library. I don't think that I actually had two basic lands that matched each other left in my deck, mm -hmm. which means Myriad Landscape now only gives me one land into play, which is only two power on all my plants, which I definitely don't think was enough That's to then 15 mill cards short. Yeah. Of, yeah. It's also going to tax your mana, a lot of other things too, and you need to make sure you can hold up all your answers. And in case something crazy happens, maybe you use your Mirage Mirror to become something else to help out as well. Also, I don't know Jimmy's deck list. If he has a Kozilek in his deck, a Shuffler, then all of a sudden I just lose the game because now I've sacrificed all my blockers. Or so I go for a Blightsteel, right? Oh, he yeah. does a Blightsteel, I was just about to say. Yeah, yeah. in a deck <laughs> just that goes is right back in the library, wants yeah. to pump out huge things. So that's, yeah, definitely a big concern there. So that was why I chose not to try and mill him out. Um, so I don't think it actually would have worked just because of the myriad landscape thing and not having enough basic land. I mean, it's very possible I didn't even have a single basic left. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll, with only 14 cards left, and it's, you know, it's a two-color deck, yes, but there weren't a ton of basics in it. I think there was only like 17 total or something like that. And that is one of the stipulations of myriad landscape over something like Burnished Heart. They have to be the same, which right. is a tough yeah. hurdle to, to jump sometimes. Also keep in mind, we've been sitting at the table now. It's the very end of the game. And as we know... Uh, I also made quite a mistake at the end of a game too, because sometimes it's easy just to go on autopilot in terms of it's ha it, this has been working and it's going to continue to work. And in my mind, it's true. I, it's not like I could stop anything that you were doing at that point. So I could see myself making the exact same decision. Be like, I have it under lockdown. Why do I need to try and do something extra special here? So the other point that people make, and I think this is the good one, <clears throat> the one where I, I think I did make the mistake, which was attacking Krim and knocking him out of the game instead of trying to go after Jimmy. So... Earlier that turn, we have Krim, who I believe is at six life, mm -hmm. and he has amassed a pretty big board state with a bunch of elementals and stuff, but I'm able to bounce most of it with a couple of crystal shards, and I get him down to like four creatures on board, and then I'm like, I'm going to kill him with a world breaker with Embercleave on it with the trample, and send a little bit of damage at Jimmy, like, I think like... 11 or 12 damage at Jimmy, and I'll just sit back behind my blockers and my counterspell and stuff, and I'll win next turn. And that felt like a good play at the time. I remember my brain was like, I, if I pass the turn here and both players are still alive, that's not great for me. I'd rather have yeah. one of them gone. However, looking at Jimmy's board in this instance, he only has two blockers up. And one of them is the Goblin Engineer, which he needs to have in play in order to pull off his crazy scheme, which ended up working to get the Altar of Dementia. Well, he gets a Mirage Mirror back, back out, yeah. out of his graveyard with the Goblin Engineer. So if I have to, I didn't know this at the time, but even just accidentally forcing him to block with the Goblin Engineer would have turned off his whole mill plan. So I think actually the correct play was to attack Jimmy with everything because an Ember Cleaved World Breaker that has seven power and a Xenagos behind it is 28 trample damage right there. Jimmy's mm -hmm. at 35 in this moment. If I attack with the rest of my creatures, I believe the math works out that he has to block with both of his creatures, losing the Goblin Engineer. He'll live. Barely. And then, yeah, he's at like single digit life totals. Crim's at single digit life total. But I think I'm actually more advantaged to win the game in that instance, as it turned out. Obviously, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> because I know exactly what Crim's going to do on his turn. Because I just bounced all this stuff and he's going to replay it. He also doesn't have haste enablers, right? Right. And so, what 
I was thinking of like, get Krim out of there because he just showed you he's a threat and I can kill him right now. But honestly, maybe my brain should have been going, yeah, but I know exactly what Krim's going to do and it doesn't kill me. So what I should be doing here is trying to kill Jimmy because I don't know what he's going to do. So it might kill me. Yeah, I think the big uh, thing that I noticed when I was playing was I'm going to go fetch this Mirage Mirror out of my deck and put it into my graveyard and have a way to put it onto the battlefield and no one really blinked an eye on it. Right. Because I think you had so much going on in your own board, it was, you know, you're trying to just remember all your own triggers. Krim was trying to find a way out of it too. So it's kind of just passed by everyone's face and like, you know, me not being like, I'm going to get the best card out of my deck because for the past few turns, it was like, I don't know if I can get anything that'll help me win. So it just kind of slid under the radar, even if I didn't really mean it because I didn't come up with the plan, I think, until Krim got KO'd and I had to look at the table and think, okay, how can I actually pull this off? Yeah, you were kind of slipping under the radar a little bit. And I think there was something that kind of psychologically happens where you see someone at six and you see someone at 35 and you're regardless of what the board state is, you're like, that's easy. Yeah, I'm you just know? may as well. I'm do that. Also yeah, a guarantee. Well. Yeah, right. you can. But maybe taking a step back and thinking it through, I might have thought to myself, yeah. But Crim's next turn is kind of mapped out because I just bounced the stuff that he's going to have to replay. So because I know that and that's not that scary to me, it doesn't instantly kill me. Yeah. Maybe I should have been like, so I don't have to worry about it. It's almost like in an RPG, you like stunned that opponent. You should kill that one mm-hmm. and then come back to the one that's stunned, right? You had also destroyed Crim's uh, uh, thing that was keeping his elementals alive, which right. got rid of four of his elementals and that thing. So they weren't even going to be as scary the next turn. Exactly. Yeah. So then you, if you had swung everything at Jim... Even if Jim didn't die, you would have cleared his board of all the creatures. Now Krim would have had to basically play catch up. Yeah, and that was sort of the position Krim was in all game too, right? He'd been sort of doing that, replaying the same stuff. And it was kind of like, you know, he was under control. Whereas I I had been freely swinging out at Josh all game still because I had little things to do. There was always some interaction that was going on. So it's true. I guess I was more of a wild card in that situation. All right. So yeah, definitely a mistake on my part. Again, we can understand it, but I think like... Well, maybe you just don't take things for granted. Like you said, I think it was like, may as well kill that player because it's easy. Yeah. Stop and take a second to think about that. Maybe maybe it's not always (laughs) the right move. All right. Case study number two is the episode before the Theros Beyond Death one, the one that featured all of Craig's excellent brews and more infect than it's probably ever been at the Game Night's table. Yes, the holiday episode. The holiday episode. More Elish Norns for sure. Yeah. Yeah, certainly more. Yeah. Speaking of, so I'm playing the Send Triplets deck in this case. It's a three-player game now. Josh has been knocked out, and it's Lady Danger, myself, and DJ. And DJ casts Eternal Witness to get back his own Elish Norn and then plays her. Uh, what this does is basically he's trying to force me to use my Mangara of Corridor. Uh, and it also, at the same time, doesn't kill anything else on my board, but it does destroy Lady's board because she's playing Prosh. And Prosh comes out with a lot of little Kobolds. So they're just going to get wiped out with Elish Norn. Yeah, I believe um, she has six Kobolds and four Sapperlings at the point he plays the Elish Norn. So 10 of her yeah. tokens, gone. And she still has Prosh out at the end of this, but Prosh is pretty much completely neutered unless he has, uh, or she has a lot of food to eat. Um, So the thing is, though, I do have Empress Galena out, and it's been on the board for quite a long time. And I can also just steal the Elish Norn that that DJ has at any point, um, which I do do on the following turn. So DJ's play, as a lot of people noted, essentially kind of gave me the game because it took... And this is actually kind of similar to the Krim thing, too. It took out another player so far out of contention that they didn't matter anymore. Uh, and as as that happened, it just made my position that much more clear and that much more powerful. It would almost be as though if I was playing in that last game, me, instead of going after you, Josh, did something that destroyed all of Krim's tokens yes. and then was like, well, it killed him, but I'm in a better position now. 
but now you're automatic, automatically going to die to me. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it feels like DJ, because you're way ahead in the game at this point, mm-hmm. and it feels like DJ is like, man, Jimmy's way ahead. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to really hurt Lady, <laughs> <laughs> and then give Jimmy basically, a, you know, the, the clear path to victory with no obstacles in front of him, because Jimmy has the answer to the card that I'm going to play, too. He mm-hmm. can just steal the Elishnorn as soon as it comes to, to, See, to my and turn. I think that DJ was playing in a way that's similar to how I play a lot of times, which is I don't even care what's going to happen. I haven't played this whole game. Jim, you've played my entire deck. Yeah, I true. just want to play a creature. I want right. to do you something. Know, like, I just want to do something. Yeah, and I totally. think that that was like 80% of DJ's kind of decision-making in that. He was going to do something he rather than do, do nothing. Something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the doing of the thing basically guaranteed Jimmy the win. Right. And it also triggered him, me, to use something that I was going to most likely use on him to begin with. Right? It would have been so much better for DJ if I had to Mangara out Prosh because Prosh was going to somehow kill me through some crazy shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, you could almost think of it in terms of like, if you said to DJ, DJ, do you want to give Jimmy an Elishnorn? No, I don't want to do that. Right. Okay, then don't do that. Right. Like, because the play, that's what it ended up. Like, you lost one thing that actually still got its value. You use your Mangar of Corndor to kill his Sword of Fire and Ice. My creature still lived at the end of it. All your creatures had more than two uh, toughness besides the Mangar, which has already got used. And so you saw all your stuff, and then you're just going to steal the Elishnorn with your Emperor Scalina. And now your stuff's not, not just normal size, even bigger than it was. Yeah. And so you got to cast a two-mana Elishnorn, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, in in DJ's defense here, there's a couple of lines of thought that might have been in his head besides the I just want to do stuff that might have made this play like make a little more sense. One thing is that Lady Danger in that instance is a little scarier than she looks. Mm-hmm. She has Prosh on board and 10 tokens. Jimmy's at 14 life here and DJ's at 23. So people are hurt. Um, they're definitely not at full life. She also has a um, Atzal Cavern of Eternity, which is, I forget the name of the enchantment, but it flips over, becomes this land that basically you pay five mana, tap it, and you can get a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew she had Zulaport Cutthroat in her graveyard, so she could get a Zulaport Cutthroat out onto the battlefield, guaranteed, with her 10 tokens. Drain everybody for 10. At least drain everybody for 10. Have a flyer that's going to be huge now. Because she'd sack all the stuff to Prosh. So she actually was threatening to maybe kill somebody, and that person could have likely been DJ because of Megara Corndor. Jimmy is protected from getting swung at, and because of Galena, is protected from Prosh basically swing. So DJ's looking, going like, well, if she does a whole bunch of stuff, it's going to probably kill me because it can't kill Jimmy with what she's got. She can hurt him a lot. Yeah. Get him down to four, but then finish me. I've taken 10 from the tokens and now I'm going to take another like 15 from the Prosh flying in and I'll just be dead. So, so, so killing her board might've been like, I don't like, that's not what you would want to do, but I kind of feel like you have to. Yeah, and it's not even the case where he's like, hey, lady, don't swing out because it's really going to be beneficial for sure because I'm playing so many cards out of DJ's deck that the moment he's gone, my board gets neutered. So. And, and also, in doing that, she does put you to four. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's getting you, as you know, she's got to try and get you closer to death. And one of the things she can leverage is the fact that you're at a lower life total. So I don't think it would have been crazy to think that's her probably most likely line of play, which is kill me, which will work. So I have to stop that. I also think... He gave Jimmy the opportunity to make a mistake here. When he plays the Elishnorn, the Mangar is going to die. There's a bunch of targets on mm-hmm. the battlefield at that point. If Jimmy doesn't kill the Sword of Fire and Ice there with the Mangara, he actually has it on a flyer. He can swing in and finish off Galena. Yep. And if he does that, then all of a sudden, 
he keeps the Elish Norn, in which case the play looks great because it just turned down the volume on all Jimmy's creatures and he's not as scary anymore. And so he may have been hoping like maybe Jimmy doesn't see that line. I mean, it's a small hope, but you're so far behind in the game. You're just looking for any like, hey, at a certain point, you're like, I can't win unless my opponents make some mistakes. Yeah. So let me give him an opportunity to make a mistake here. Jimmy didn't. He killed the Sword of Fire and Ice. But if he hadn't seen that, if he killed Prosh with it, which wouldn't have been crazy, then all of a sudden you even could have killed the – Mangara will take out just permanents, right? So you mm-hmm. could have killed the the Atzal maybe would have been a, a decent target to think about. Yep, yeah. you've gone after the land. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so I, I don't think actually DJ's play is as crazy as it looks. Yeah, also you have to keep in mind that he doesn't – you know, DJ likes to use all of his mana, right? He likes to use it efficiently as well, and he needs to make a big play to try and crawl back into it because he's so disadvantaged already. So Elish Norn does on its face be like, yes, this impacts the world the most. It's going to make some action happen, and maybe that will give Lady an opportunity if Jimmy uses the wrong Mongar on the wrong thing to take him out. Because it's true, Lady does have the ability to just sort of KO me out of anywhere because of the Zulaport Cutthroat. Well, I did talk to Lady after the game because <laughs> she told me that that she had Triumph of the Horde yeah. in, in oh. her hand. So if he didn't wipe her board, it was very likely that she was going to be able to win as well. Well, we know she had Perforos, which she played later. She had a lot. She was packing that you couldn't see. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah Perforos and Zulapur Cutthroat would have been instant win for her on the spot. So DJ, without realizing it, did essentially stop Lady from winning the game, I think, in that case. All right, let's go to the third case study here, which is from Game Night's episode 30. It's the Throne of Eldraine uh, episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to put up the board state and it will actually have on the picture the time code of where we're looking at precisely here. So you can follow along if you want to or watch pieces of the episode or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this was the Throne of Eldraine brawl episode. It is brawl, but the gameplay situations sort of mimic commander in ways where I don't think it matters that it's brawl or not. Uh, it plays out kind of like a, a commander situation anyway. So Reed, uh, Reed Duke begins his turn by attacking Jimmy with a Thorn Mammoth, which is the 6-6 Trampler that when it comes into play, it fights something, and then whenever you uh, play a creature, a creature enters the battlefield for Reed, he can also have the Thorn Mammoth fight something in those instances. Mm -hmm. So it's just this fighty mammoth that's, you know, it's kind of a reusable removal spell. But it's a 6-6 Trampler. So Jimmy only has a Fairy Formation uh, and 12 untapped mana because Fairy Formation is a 5-4 flyer that you can pay 4 mana into and it makes a 1-1 flyer and you draw a card. That's so Jimmy's good. holding up 3 activations, 3 1-1 flyers and 3 card draws and his 5-4 flyer. Reed attacks him with his 6-6 Trampler. Jimmy's at 16 life here and Jimmy doesn't block. He takes 6 and then what happens is Reed plays a creature and uses his Thorn Mammoth to fight the Fairy Formation and Jimmy and the fairy formation dies. Jimmy, of course, makes the tokens and draws some cards, but the Thorn Mammoth still lives here because it's a 6 6 fighting a 5 4. And I take a bunch of damage. Yeah, and he took uh, a third damage. of his damage. Yeah, instead of, of potentially life. three had I blocked. So I thought this was a really smart play by Reed. Of course, he's Reed freaking Duke. He's the best <laughs> players of all time. Yeah, so no surprise there. Not making a mistake anytime soon. What he did, I think, is give Jimmy the opening to make a mistake. Similar to what DJ did, maybe, mm-hmm. um, we were talking about. Uh, in I this learned. Ca- <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this case, I think Jimmy did make the mistake, which is the Thorn Mammoth's on the battlefield, right? If you look around the board state at that point, the Thorn Mammoth doesn't have a lot of great targets to fight. Um, I have a Death Touch creature. I have a couple of little creatures. 
Melissa has only one one tokens, and then stuff that's either too big or also has death touch. And yeah, will like kill the commander. Yeah. So the fairy formation is actually the most likely target for the Thorn Mammoth to fight if Reed plays a creature that turn, which he was definitely going to. He was drawing a bunch of cards. He had creatures, so I think Jimmy could have seen, hey, this Thorn Mammoth is going to try and fight my fairy formation. In which case, I think it was probably correct to make a fairy and block the Thorn Mammoth. Even though you still take five, that puts one damage on it. And now if you fight my fairy formation, at least your Thorn Mammoth dies. Yeah, that it or, takes a damage. Yeah, that or make the token block with the fairy formation and your token to eat the Thorn Mammoth, just knowing like, hey, listen, my fairy formation is probably dead. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty nine out of 10 level play if if yes. that though because easy mistake I, to make i think a lot of us would have made i'd probably make the same mistake in because moment. especially a six six trample you're thinking okay if i block with one you know i'm putting four mana into this resource for one i'm still going to get hit for five Th- doesn't fight, seem useful yeah, yeah fight not. is something that they've just recently started to bring back in on a, on a bigger level mm-hmm. and so it's not something that we're very used to on a big level so it's something that, you know, Reed as a as a standard player, he's used to that mechanic. He's used to, you know, 1v1 doing that. And it, just to kind of prove that this is all kind of, you know, evaluating board states can be tough. We started this conversation when we started it as, oh, we think Reed actually made a misplay here. And then as we started to analyze it, we were like, no, actually, he made the right decision by attacking first because we were like, what if he fought it first to kill it and then he could attack without any repercussions? Well, what would happen is Jimmy I would, would make in a bunch re- of tokens and then I could block and kill it. Yeah. Right. Whereas he actually made the optimal play by attacking first, getting in for the most amount of damage, assessing what his opponent was going to do, and then using that information to make the optimal play. Yeah, I think the thing that made me not want to block is me not realizing that Reed was essentially entering into a 1v1 versus me at that moment. Because had I looked around the board, and I did know what was on the board, I was like, well, clearly other players are a bigger threat. Josh has more life. These people have more creatures on the board. All I have is like a card draw engine. So for me, it was like, I could try and block. And what if he blows me out with a combat trick I don't know about? It's brawl. Like they were playing more cards that have, you know, like I said, fight on that, maybe right. a plump spell. So I was like, you know what? Instead of taking five damage and losing a thing, I'll just take six damage and just doesn't seem that much of a doesn't difference. seem like a huge yeah. difference right? that was like the third time you'd played fairy formation in that game too and it was well, kind of the only thing on your board it yeah was I like, that was the like thing was keeping huge, you in the game right yeah it was yeah. the only thing keeping me in the game but at the same time i was at i felt like i was at the lowest on the totem pole so i was like if reed is really going to go after me i don't feel like he's going to keep doing this because i'm not a huge threat to him Right, he has ways to block these creatures. He has ways to make sure I don't sort of like get in under the radar against him. Whereas, if I think if you'd taken the time in that moment to say, okay, well, let's look at it from Reed's seat. Who's he likely to fight with that yeah. Thorn Mammoth? You would have gone down the list and been like, oh shoot, he's definitely going to fight my Fairy Formation just because that's the only real target he's got. Yeah, he's not going to go and kill just some random one one with it. But if you don't actually look at my board piece by piece and then Melissa's board piece by piece and break it down, your brain naturally could be is like, yeah, he's going to kill something on their board because they're way more scary than me and it's just in a generic sort of way you just think that and yeah. you're like okay so i'll just take the six here draw my cards make some tokens and i'll get back in this game have we gone through the exact nuance of that token would deal one to it and therefore his he would have to make the decision of whether both creatures would die he clearly or... didn't want the thorn mammoth to die because right. he, w- he could have fought death touchers with it and he didn't choose to do that so i think it's very possible if jimmy makes one flying token blocks and it's got a damage marked on it then all of a sudden he doesn't want to fight the fairy formation with it and he would just kill like one of Melissa's one ones or something. Yeah, it makes a bigger difference. Yeah. At the very least, the equation changes substantially. Yeah, yeah totally. So in, in, in an interesting situation and, and no surprise just that Reed Duke is yeah. a pretty smart magic player. 
All right, let's go to case study number four, which is from Game Nights number 26, which is the War of the Spark episode. This is an interesting one <laughs> you, you marked down, Craig. So the game plays out where basically, if you remember, Jimmy goes to cast a finale of Revelation, the blue uh-huh. finale. He taps out for seven mana. He's going to draw five cards. Just... This is a huge moment for me because I'm super far behind. I'm like, this yeah. is the only thing that's going to get me back. Thank goodness I have this card. And you I have put it in my no deck. board state whatsoever. Right. And I've been sitting on Spell Swindle waiting for somebody to play a big spell. And so I spell swindle it. Because I'm in the worst position. I'm the last turn before you, too. You not only spell swindle it, you go, yes, I'm so glad he, like, (laughs) spent so much mana on that. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) I was like, somebody's going to play a big spell. And then Cedric goes like, two drop, three drop. And, yeah. and Emma goes like, two, two, one, you know? And I'm like, no, he's playing anything huge. And then Jimmy just bails me out. But Jimmy's like mad. He's salty about the it. The response was great. Yeah. He's like, really? And I'm like, well, I have to now because there's no other turns between yours and mine. And I, I need to get, so, I need to like not just time walk myself. Yeah. So anyway, I spell swindle Jimmy's thing. And then later in the game, I have sort of a, a pretty big turn, but not a lot comes of it. I end up just drawing a bunch of cards. I remember being mm-hmm. like, I have a bunch of bunch of uh, gonna treasure. It's going to be impressive. It, yeah. And I do it, and I'm like, oh, I don't draw into what I want to, and I just end up like tormenting voice twice, get yeah. a bunch of cards in my hand. I have my commander out, but it's not like super, super scary. Um, and then it comes back around to Jimmy's turn. This is about 30 minutes into the game, and I think you don't have many cards because I countered this card draw I just spell. have really nothing yeah. to do. With and he's like, I don't have much going on. I'm just going to Rivers Rebuke Josh. Because uh, he's ahead in the game, and ends up Rivers rebuking me. So Craig, you marked this down as kind of like a a pointless feud. Do you yeah. want to explain that? Yeah, th- I mean, I think this happens kind of a lot in EDH where it's like Especially between you and me, Craig. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, it happens on like a. On it's a, way more likely to happen when the players play with each other a lot. A lot, yes, yeah. because it's like it's a carryover from last game almost, where you're like, or this one is a direct carryover from the same game. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times, it's like, oh man, you just like really messed with my game, so I'm gonna teach you a lesson to not ever do that to me again. Right, I'm not having any fun, so I'm not gonna let you have any fun. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or I'm and, gonna try and stifle the. Fun. a little bit do whatever i can yeah and that can kind of just lead to both of you getting stalled out which is exactly what happened what happened is you guys focused on each other and then you were two you two were the first two out of that game Mm -hmm. and it left cedric and emma to kind of battle it out and go for the win and i think this happens kind of a lot where you know somebody attacks you in a certain way that you perceive as unfair one game so the next game you play a mono blue deck and make sure that they don't do anything right (laughs) Whoa, well, jeez. I think, I think, within, <laughs> I think this happens a lot. You let me play my yeah, infect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it happens a lot within the same game, too, where like something happens to you, and then that player's just like, if you have a, a destroy target non-land permanent spell, it's it's way more likely to go at them. Yeah. You know, you're going to get them back. You're it's gonna, like, I can't let them get away with it again kind of thing. Yeah, I'm going to destroy their thing. They destroyed my thing. You know, not it's not 100%. It's not like, hey, if somebody played a Blightsteel Colossus, you're all of a sudden going to be like, nope, I'm saving this Path of Exile because they countered my spell earlier. Yeah. yeah. But if nothing like that happens, you're like, all things being more or less equal, I'm killing their stuff because, you know, forget about it. They just killed my thing. They, they just countered my spell. Yeah, it feels better, too. I think a lot of that decision, too, was like I was looking at Cedric's board, who's just going to draw creatures if I bounce them, and Emma's board with Guild Summit, just going to draw more cards. So I was like, you know what? Josh had his big turn. This feels like it's the most appropriate, not only for the spell swindle, but also like he had the most explosive turn and scared people the most. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to point it this way. 
I also think, and in Jimmy's defense here, I don't know if you were thinking this way, but I think there is some value in making moves that maybe aren't like optimal to win the current game that you're in. We do film a lot of episodes of Game Nights. Yeah, but they set a precedent. And they say like, hey, I'm not going to take things sitting down. I When you do something against me, even if it's not optimal for me, even if it's not going to help me win this game, I'm going to retaliate so that you just can't pick on me. If you ever touch my stuff, it's going to cost you something. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help you win that game, but it might help you win the next game or the game after that or the game after that when they're like, ah, all things being equal, I'm not going to kill Josh's thing because he's definitely going to do something to me in retaliation, even if it hurts him. So I'll just destroy something from the, you know. But this yeah. is the interesting little nuance of this because it could just as easily go the other way where you push their buttons a little bit too hard and now now you're playing arch enemy every game. That's every true. game. True. Yeah, you could, you could <laughs> no one go back down. Yeah, Full right on up. war. Yeah, yeah. You're in a blood feud now. Like a cold war against, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think there is a lot more that goes into decisions that Josh and I make against each other in every yes. game. For instance, like me saving you from the blight steel was like I could have just let you die and I would have like been cackling on the inside but I was like you know what I think it's more fun overall and maybe this will give me some goodwill over the course of this game maybe in the future yeah so I'll save it you know yeah exactly because if you're because Jimmy and I are going to be in every episode or most episodes um, who knows someday we may not be in an episode of Game Nights I don't know when RP uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it makes more sense to play a long game with each other, but it doesn't yeah. make any sense really for most of our guests. I mean, maybe it's Craig or somebody who's likely to come back, but for most of our guests, like they're not going to be on at least within the, the calendar year, you know, yeah. maybe they'll be on in 18 months, but I don't need to like get any like clout with them moving forward for next month and the month after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Jimmy's like, Hey, yeah, I'll save you. And that might actually help me in the next game on game nights or the game after that, or even the next game you and I just play with everybody here whereas like saving emma or cedric who are great people and you know friends of ours that we like but we don't play with them very often so i don't get anything by long term them being like josh saved me that one time i haven't played with cedric again since yeah so what would i have gotten by saving him so yeah i think i think there's definitely a huge difference and i think this could relate to people out there when you're playing with your own play group as uh, as opposed to like playing with random strangers at a gp or something where Maybe you don't make certain moves that you would with your playgroup because there's just no long-term repercussions, either good or bad. Yeah. So you take games into real life. Not real life. You use it as no, a, for the next time we play the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, right. Like yeah, the yeah. moment okay, that okay, Craig okay. threatens to mill me in any situation based on something that happened <laughs> six years ago, I will immediately turn on the full war siren. I still have that deck. I kind of want to put up the deck. I know. It, oh. it had a conspiracy that allowed them to double mill a card. All right. We have uh, a lot more case studies coming up. Uh, and we'll break into some really interesting ones where maybe where I'm not always making the mistake. But <laughs> before we get into it, let's hear a quick ad for our mid-roll break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back. We are talking about learning from our mistakes. Hopefully, we can help you learn from our mistakes. We're doing some case studies of situations in game nights and breaking down uh, possible different lines of play or mistakes that we made or, or, or other players on the show made. So the next one up is from the same episode, actually, that we just got done talking about. It's mm-hmm. game nights number 26, War of the Spark episode, again, with Emma Handy and Cedric Phillips. Um, so in that same episode, and it's later in the game now, Jimmy has... Rivers rebuked me, and I'm the first one out of that game. I get KO'd. So it's down to just the three, Emma, Cedric, and Jimmy. Emma makes a really interesting play here. So she has two dragons, basically, a Niv-Mizzet and a Rakdos, the new one. She has a small mana dork and an active planeswalker. Jimmy and Cedric each only have one sort of moderately sized creature, like five to six power. They're both on the ground. Cedric has a Hadana's Climb which is a card that can jump one of his creatures into the air until end of turn and sort of make it bigger. Um, but Cedric has, like, no cards in hand. If you remember that episode, I kind of blew him out with a uh, Star of Extinction really early in the game, and, yeah. <laughs> and he's been top-decking. Jimmy is down to almost no cards as well because I also blew him out with a Spell Swindle and his big card draw spell, so he's just been top-decking. Um, Emma has a lot of cards because Niv-Mizzet draws her cards, and she's had some drawings and is going. And Emma looks at the board state, Again, she has two dragons, a mana dork, a planeswalker. Cedric and Jimmy each have one creature. And she Kaya's Wraths. Board wipes. She board wipes. In an advantage situation. She's definitely a head on board. She she hadn't even attacked yet, right? Um I don't know if she could have. I don't remember the exact order okay. of events, but yeah. yeah. She board wipes. And this is a really interesting play. She explains it in the episode, and I remember talking to her about it. And listen, full disclosure. Emma is a way better magic player than anybody sitting at this table, or probably all three of us combined. Yeah. She's a very, very good magic player. She knows what she's doing. She's played on, yeah, pro tours and SCG tours. She coaches people. She She's commentator for, like, professional events. So we're definitely not saying she's a bad player. But I, I think this might have been a case of a person who normally plays a lot of 1v1 coming into multiplayer and, and actually overestimating the difference that multiplayer makes in this situation because yeah. I think if she was playing 1v1 and she looks at the same situation but just takes Jimmy's creature and puts it on her opponent's board because she's playing 1v1 remember she would never have wrath in that situation but because there's an additional player she thinks listen she's at 9 life by the way in this situation I think yeah. she's scared of Hadana's climb and she's like if they kill my two dragons and then they can attack and kill me but and it seems like a bigger possibility than it really is because there's two of them. Mm-hmm. Now, it makes sense in the fact that, like, okay, if she wraths, now everybody has is in a state of rebuilding. Right? And she so, has a lot of cards, and they and don't. And she has a lot of cards, and they don't. I'm just going to be a better position, yeah. Right, but on, like, a 1v1 level, when you're playing 1v1, if you're down to one or two cards, you likely have some answers. 
And so that's what it, what they were in. They had one or two cards. And part of this may have been, okay, they have one or two cards in hand, you know, over overestimating how much removal we typically play, which is not a lot. Well, and we know Jimmy and Cedric have just been top teching, so it's not like right. they yeah. went they got holding for stuff. stuff up. Yeah. yeah, right. So it does seem like you know a an assessment that was more geared towards one v one, as you said, than two v two or multiplayer. And I think also uh, underestimating the fact that because Cedric, spoiler alert, does go on to win this game. Actually, Jimmy gets knocked out, but Cedric manages to claw back. I think from this position, if she doesn't board wipe, she probably wins this game like nine times out of ten. Yeah. Um, I think it's easy to sort of underestimate the fact that what your two opponents really have to their advantage at that moment is double your card draw. Mm -hmm. So she's thinking, I can't lose a long game because I have more cards than them right now. But let's say she has five cards in hand and they each have one. That's going to be rectified in two turns. Yeah, because we'll draw four cards between us. And she'll draw two in that time. Yeah. And so actually... I think her best play in that position is try to leverage her current board state, knock right. one of them out, and now her card advantage will actually play because against one person, she does have card advantage, but against two, it's not as clean cut. Yeah, and it makes sense. Again, like she's not afraid of haste in a green-blue deck from either yep. of us. She's at nine health. I'm at 19 scissors at 22. So it does, like, if you were looking at it from purely a health standpoint, you're kind of doing this. Oh, man. Yeah. And they may not have cards, but they certainly have at least, right? I can't kill any of them in one outright swing. I need to do that at least twice. And if I do that, I tap out, and then all of a sudden, both of them can come at me. My nine life really looks really low at that point. So it makes sense, I think, from that perspective from Emma. Yeah, and I think playing the Kai's Wrath does make her feel safe. Like, I'm guaranteed another turn or two if right. I do this. Uh, yeah. It's, and it's an interesting decision. And honestly, like, it could go either way because we don't know if she doesn't play it if you know, somebody top decks the wrong card right there. She's mm-hmm. not wrong. She could die. Right. Yeah. That's just, I think in multiplayer and in commander, you don't have the opportunity to like take the game that often. And oftentimes it's worth taking a little bit of risk to just be like, okay, but if they don't in the next turn, draw that one answer, I will win. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to open myself up to that one thing because it's a bigger risk almost to turn that off, but give them more time. Ultimately. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. This next one's a fun one. Uh, well, for me, it was fun. For Josh, it was not. Uh, but this is during a time when it was fun for Josh. It's Game Nights number 28, the M20 episode with MTG Nerd Girl and Amaz. Now, Josh is in the middle of going off with Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, and he's gotten a couple of extra turns. He's resolved in Aminatu's Augury, and he's casting Blatant Thievery, and he targets my... Necropotence, necropotence, whatever. Necropotence. <laughs> In response, I decide to activate Necropotence for 25. Draw 25 cards and go from 32 all the way down to 7 life. And Josh is going to, well, Plague Wind has resolved this turn as well. And Blatant Theory, you're just going to dominate the game at this point. Which yeah, is what keep, it looks like. You should keep in mind that earlier in this turn plague wind already got resolved off of golos or something and mm-hmm. so there's no creatures on the board and i'm about to blatant thievery every permanent so at the end of this blatant thievery i will have every non-land permanent in the game on my side of the battlefield so it's dire i'm way way ahead and jimmy i assume you're thinking he's going to take my necropotent so i won't be able to use it i have this one chance to use it I have to get as much ammunition as humanly possible. Yeah. And in my head specifically, I did say the only thing I think that's going to get us out of this is Mind Slaver. So you're like, I'm just going to dig as deep as I feel like it's healthy. I healthy. Yeah. Right. And you go down to seven life mm-hmm. uh, from <laughs> from 32 and... Bold move. I, I, 
yeah, bold, very bold. And I think, you know, another thing to keep in mind here is you're playing Kethis, mm-hmm. and Kethis is a graveyard deck. So you're going to have to discard a bunch of cards, which actually is not the worst because you'll still have access to a bunch of those cards. Yeah, and then I can do the Mind Sliver Lock where I can recast it over and over again on my graveyard as long as I have those cards to exile with Kethis's ability. So the question here is, and Craig, this is another one you flagged because you think this was probably too many cards. Jimmy ends up um, getting knocked out, I think, first in that game. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because I'm at seven life. Yeah, because at (laughs) the end of this, I mean, he does do the Mind Slaver thing and whatever, but at the end of this, he, I think you, the Mind Slaver thing happens, obviously, and you kind of, you nullify me, but the problem is you're at seven and there's two other opponents. Yeah. So it's sort of like the thing where I was like, I'm going to cling on and do everything I can, but as a result, put myself in a disadvantage position from going too hard after one player and sort of disregarding everyone else's table. It's a play that sort of increases the chance that I don't win the game, but also increases the chance that you don't win the game. Yeah. Right. It's almost going back to that feud thing. Yeah, this, I think this ago. is different. It's a little but... bit different. Yeah, it's very actually very different. But it's also so he he takes 25 damage going down to 7 life. You know, we were just talking about the last scenario where Emma was at 9 life looking at everybody, you know, looking up at 20. And this was like turn 5 or 6. I'm so looking like, up at 40. You're looking at right? 30s and 40s. Yeah, yeah it's like... Amaz is above 40 at this point. Yeah, it's a huge spread. So right. it was like... You know, he was taking a huge hit for the team trying to find that answer. And there wasn't even, you didn't even really throw out a negotiation. You weren't even like, guys, I'm going to help you. There's nothing to negotiate. Nobody had anything. Yeah, right. 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 I mean, I think he did. We probably didn't make the episode, but I think he did say something like, listen, I'm going to do this. You guys aren't going to kill me next turn. Yeah, don't kill me. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're not, obviously, until Josh is dealt with, we're not going to. But even then, at some point, Josh is going to be dealt with, and you're still going to be at seven life. It's interesting. It's an interesting question. Like Jimmy, if you had it to do again, obviously, you maybe didn't I'll, win the game. Maybe I'll keep my life above ten next time, but that means I'm drawing twenty-two cards instead of twenty-five. You know? <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> I mean, twelve cards. You would have been at twenty, fifteen. Yeah. You know, you would have been at like seventeen. The real like, question is: Is twelve versus fifteen that different? Is fifteen versus twenty that different? Is at one point does it become like, all right, you have you're not actually making your chances that much better of getting the thing you want? Well, I think it's more like because you weren't going to see those cards until two turns from now. He wasn't going to see it until after his end. until after your turn, which it was that was during Josh's turn, right? And then it came to you, and you still weren't going to see those cards. He did still have cards in hand. Though. He did still have yeah. cards in hand, but it was. I, I think that's part of the equation with ne- necropot- necropotence. Necropo- necropotence. Necropotence. <laughs> yeah. Viscera seed. Is basically like, you know, you're going to get these cards at the end of your turn, but if you're playing that, if you're doing that on somebody else's turn, it's almost two turns until you see that because it's the end of your turn. Correct. Yeah. Which, but it ended up working out, right? It did like, end up working that out. long. Yes. It did. Yeah, I, I think the goodwill I thought that was going to come from the other players would, would keep me alive. The ultimate real mistake I made that game was not realizing how much of a threat Amaz was becoming by just letting his resources build out of control. And we all saw what happened in that game. All right. All right. Moving on. Game night number 23. This is the seventh case, stu- case study. Ravnica Allegiance, one that I hold very near and dear to my heart as I did win. Uh, now, here we go. The scene is Vinny is attacking DJ with a 12-12 Mana Gorger Hydra. Uh, and I'm going to be the next player to act after this. I'm about to untap with a Planar Bridge that I just cast the previous turn. This card might be one of the scarier things you can see at the table. Now, DJ has a choice here, and he has an Utter End in hand. 
And he's about to take 12 from this trampling Mana Gorger Hydra. So he decides to, instead of going after any of my stuff, goes after Vinny's Hydra in the moment. And then as a result, I'm able to get Emrakul out at instant speed later on. And then that just sort of single-handedly carries me to victory. Yeah, the thing that's interesting here is uh, DJ is at 37 life. Right. So he's going to go down to 25. Um, he has this one answer. Jimmy's tapped out, just played the planar bridge. Planar bridge, if you don't know, basically lets Jimmy cheat any permanent from his deck into play. Mm-hmm. Very from, from his deck, it's not hand. Uh, costs a lot to activate, but he can do that at instant speed. It's a super scary card. Um, but DJ chooses to utter end the Mana Gorger Hydra here. And as a result, Jimmy ends up getting Emrakul out at instant speed later and kind of riding that to victory. Yeah, as it can also block the... Yes, <laughs> the 12-12. That, the 12-12, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's the question here. Is DJ's utter end there on the Mana Gorger Hydra a mistake? Which I believe in this case it was. Yeah, it just makes sense that even though you have a threat that's coming imminently at you, it's like someone, another country, a foreign country over there is like, we're going to launch some nukes soon. And you're like, oh, we're engaging the war over here, so I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, we're going to spend all our resources here. And then they're like, yeah, this all right, one, we launched the like, nuke. Yeah, and you're they're... like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that other war is like they're invading, you know, one of our provinces. Yeah. Listen, if you lose a province, you still have a country. If you get nuked, you don't. Yeah. And so, yeah, this felt like a situation where in the moment, DJ didn't like being attacked with that Hydra and was like, I'm going to remove it. But at the same time, left the door then wide open for Jimmy to step in and, you know, really take command of the game at that point. This could be a thing, too, where DJ does play with Vinny more often. Yeah. And just being like, you can't just... Because Vinny was going after DJ, right? Maybe Vinny should have been attacking me at that point instead, too, but he doesn't want to anger the guy with the planer bridge if he doesn't have a way to answer it. So it could I have been a little bit of that. you made a deal, too. You had, like, a Tamiyo, and I think you oh, were that's like... Right, to keep you were like, I'll either tap that down or you don't attack me with it. Right, so you made right, the deal. Right. And, yeah, so I don't think he could attack you, and it was either me or DJ, and... I wasn't, I was mana screwed. So he was like, I'm going to attack DJ because he's the next biggest threat. And, you know, he was thinking, I'm just going to chunk him down a little. Yeah. You know, get the game moving, which we always like on game night. And so, yeah, I don't think, the, I think the attack was actually kind of clever from Vinny in that I think nine times out of 10, you just get through with it and nobody kills the creature. Mm-hmm. We were all kind of surprised when he used the other end there because it was like, the other end could target Planar Bridge. You know that, right? You yeah. Know? So, and that was, expecting it to happen too. Yeah. I played Planner Bridge going like, there's no way this is going to survive to my next turn. If, if I get one activation off it, it's just too good. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was a situation where, but I, I do like what you said and it's possible. And I think off camera, there's a chance that even I would make the play of like, no, I'm going to kill your thing. Yes, we lose the game. I, I'm aware of that, but you cannot attack me with stuff. I will kill the stuff. Yeah. Yep. You should know that. And next game, that's going to help me win games You know, down the line because... Josh will freaking throw away the entire game just to kill the thing you're attacking him with. So maybe yeah. you don't want to attack him with the thing. There is something to be said for drawing that line in the sand and having that reputation. I'm not sure that's what DJ was doing. Right. And even I don't play or it this to was that the best level. case to do it in. Yeah. But there's also a thing to be said. Like, don't let Jimmy bully you with his planeswalker. Like, you have creatures. You have resources. You can get rid of it. He's the one with the planner bridge. He's clearly the threat. So maybe, maybe the mistake was not having enough discussion before the combat even happened. Right. And then forcing DJ's hand to do something that maybe he even wasn't that happy with at the end of the game interesting dj very good player i know we've mentioned him a couple times but he's one of the better players we know those great decks too yeah all right we're gonna go do one more case study here it's um rewind yep 
It's from Game Night's number... Oh, sorry, I marked this wrong. It's from the M20 episode, which is Game Night's number 28. Uh, so this is something that got talked about a lot of this episode, so I wanted to... It's different. This is going to be different than the other ones, I think. Yeah. So it's... The question here is, if you remember the end of the M20 episode, Amaz basically... As soon as Jimmy gets knocked out, or as soon as I get knocked out, so it's down to 1v1 with him and MTG Nerd Girl, who unfortunately got kind of mana screwed or deck didn't really get to do a lot just that's the way that goes yeah um, it's a bummer because when we tested the decks the night before it's always it a different looked good and it was it fine. great yeah and everything was good and that's just you know it's magic and we don't script the game so that's just the way that it goes but anyway it gets down to 1v1 and he starts playing quote-unquote mean a lot of people thought he got mean at this point so he used agent of treachery he copied it he's got yark out so he basically steals all her stuff and then Mana drains the one spell she tries to cast and... Which and, isn't even like a high CMC spell, by the way. It's like a small signet type thing, yeah, right? Yeah, I think it was a signet. Yeah. And then he ended it by blowing up the last of her lands with acidic slime with multiple, again, enter the battlefield triggers because of Yark and stuff like that. So the entire sequence of events starts at 52 minutes into a 57-minute episode. So it's actually a very short part of the game where Amaz just kind of goes into full-on, okay, I'm going to win-now mode because it's 1v1. And a lot of people in the comments and stuff were like, kind of like throwing it, throwing it at Amaz yeah. for being mean in that situation. And this is where I think commander players get a bad rap. And I think, you know, a lot of other formats kind of roll their eyes at us because we overreact to stuff like that where I don't think at all what Amaz did, did was bad. In fact, I think it was the opposite. I think it was good. I think I would want every player that I'm in a pod with or playing in a play group with to do that at that point. Right. Yeah. Because Put me we, out of my misery, please. Win the game. Yeah. So we can shuffle up and go again yeah. or just do something that the other person goes, you're right, I can see. Good game. Let's do uh, another one. Clearly you won. It's down to 1v1. Think of Jimmy and I in a normal setting where we're not on camera, obviously. Jimmy and I are going to be sitting there like hoping the game ends so we can play. The best thing Amaz can do for us is ice the game yeah and that's exactly what you did i'm gonna steal all your stuff i'm gonna blow up all your lands it's game nights i think on a no any normal game person would just concede it's game night so we just let it play out mm -hmm. until it's like very very obvious there's no chance at all and so i think in a normal game he would have agent of treachery stole the whatever and she would run okay you got this one let's right, just shuffle yeah. up no big deal yeah um but because it's on tv and we're kind of tv uh and we're kind of like let's take it one or two more steps just so it's very obvious to everybody that it's 100% over. Um, that kind of, yeah, that kind of gave Amaz, um, unfortunately, the chance to, to become the villain in some people's eyes. Yeah, and I think a lot of this happens too. Uh, we play magic with all sorts of different people, all sorts of different personalities. And if you don't like a personality or if you find someone grading or maybe they just don't mesh with your play style, you're going to have an extra like layer of bias against them. Uh, I think Amaz, you know, he is a professional player. He played Hearthstone yeah. professionally. He's been to Pro Tours. He was at the top of a lot of like the draft ladders uh, on on MTGO. He's very good at the game, and he's going to come at it from that point. You know, you see interviews with people you know that are pros all the time, and they come off with a similar sort of vibe, which is like, I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to do it the best I can. So I think a lot of there was just an, an an additional layer of that too. Like people carry in prior history to games, and I think people are sort of conflating a lot of that together instead of just sort of looking at the situation holistically and objectively. Yeah, certainly can't hate hate on. A Maz for building a very powerful deck. I mean, but we I all do, build powerful decks, right? I, do, I mean, listen, I, I think of all the decks at the table, mine was the most powerful. He didn't yeah. have the most powerful uh, yeah. deck at the table, so that's not... You can't even 
bring that against him. He was able to kind of stay out of the limelight while you were doing your extra turns, which let him build up his board, which then let him take over. But I do like the juxtaposition at the end where she let her two birds live (laughs) and and he was this like mean guy, right? Yeah. So I think that might have... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it sucks. Obviously, we want every guest to be on the show and to do the best, right? When, when, like whenever people accuse us of scripting, it just makes it just baffles my mind because it's like you think we would just fly someone out here, house them, get them on this show, and spend you... hours of time working with them so they could sit there and do nothing. Like that's not what we want, but we have to play the game as it is, and we have time to record one game. So that's just how it sort of turned out. It would be great though if if we purposely made your luck that bad. Yeah, we're gonna do that. We'll do that to <laughs> yeah. you next time. It's like Ray. we called MTG Nerd Girl up on the phone. And we're like, hey, do you want to hey. be on game nights? Okay, but but you're gonna yeah. have I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. You're gonna be manuscript in this game. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, yeah, but you're gonna fly all the way down here, and, and we're gonna do so for the time. day. Yeah. We're gonna you hang have to build out. a deck too. You gotta brew one, but I'm sorry, you won't get to pl- like that. Does, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we'll do that to Craig if he ever brings him back. <laughs> all right, all right, um, Craig, you can only put three lands in your deck. <laughs> As a wrap up here, uh, I just want to talk about some takeaways. So we went through a bunch of the games, and we just kind of pulled out what we thought were the, the best moments. But there was a lot of moments we looked at in a lot in all the games where it was like, oh, was this the right play? Should they have done that? That was weird. Yeah. And and I think one of the takeaways I had was the realization that a lot of the mistakes that we came across or identified during all the games we were looking at boiled down to sort of the hindsight of removing the wrong target or permanent yeah going after the wrong thing yeah dealing with the wrong threat and learning later as the game played out like hey probably should have let that one sit because this other thing was going to be way more important and maybe didn't look that way at the time or maybe mm-hmm. did look that way at the time in the case of planar bridge and things like that but there that was kind of the most uh i don't know common situation that kind of got identified over and over again yeah I think a lot of the times too, and you know, we let these mistakes happen because one, that's the that's how the game works. We're all here to play and have fun, and occasionally those mistakes make the game way more memorable and fun in the long run too. But I, you know, I think Game Nights again is a very specific meta, right? We've created our own sort of like this is our general power level of the decks and all that stuff. But the same mistakes I think happen across every game, and and threat assessment is something we talk about a lot on the show, um, and maybe it's something that we should revisit soon in light of all these mistakes as well. I think another thing that I learned from going through this whole process was I kind of codified this idea that if you look around and you're in third or fourth place, you're not one of the top two players at the table, maybe even in second in some instances, your best chance to win that game is probably not helping the people in the top two spots. Right, letting that, yeah, having them play it or one, yeah. What you want to happen is those two to go at each other and slowly whittle away till they're, as you're climbing your way up, they're knocking each other down and mm-hmm. suddenly you might find yourself on the top of that hill. And I think a lot of this things we saw that, sort of disrupted that chance to win where people being like helping the person in the top position, you know, knocking down the number two person or knocking down the number one person, leaving the number two person far in the lead because you just used a bunch of resources and Amaz now is way ahead. Um, yeah, yeah. Also never convince yourself that like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but I can deal with them later. It's like, can you deal with them when they put six more lands into play than you drawn 10 more cards and done all this stuff? It's like, well, maybe not actually. So I think, yeah, definitely be careful about how much you help someone. Yeah. I mean, if you're in fourth place, I think your best play most of the time is 
Don't help anybody. Don't stay remove quiet. anything. Yeah, stay quiet. <laughs> Listen, if there's a, even if there's a planar bridge out there, you got to be like, I hope that that is going to be dealt with by one of the other two players or, you know, at least be used against them first. But I'm in last place. And my only chance here is to not waste my resources yeah. helping out the the second and third place person. You know, I need them to use their stuff against against the number one and so in that scrum create an opportunity for me to start to claw my way back in great example of that is bear force one in the modern horizons yeah. episode he was just laying back laying back laying back and then at the end he was able to do his thing imagine if he'd wasted a bunch of resources getting involved in the scrum of what yeah. kathleen and jimmy and i were doing he just okay i'm gonna let them fight it out yep and then maybe i have a chance here at the end to, to steal it or do some stuff. And I think that's generally like a really good way yeah. to go about it. Maybe Th Graham's learned a lot from married life. Just like, <laughs> hey, you know what? My hands off, let it, let it figure itself out and then I'll come back in. I think there's also one kind of last thing that goes into proper threat assessment that takes a lot of time. And that's knowing what cards do by just quickly looking at them rather than having to like read them and whatnot. Because let's say there's a vicious shadows on that side of the board and there's a ton of creatures on the board, right? And I've never seen that card before. I'm probably not likely to think that that's a threat. But if somebody automatically wraths and we all have seven cards in hand, now just cards like that can have a weird, quick effect on things where you don't necessarily know that that's the threat. So you, you know, uh, utter end something else where in reality you should wait until this happens, utter end that thing instead of the thing that you know from previous experiences the threat. It's interesting though because none of the situations we brought up had to do with like knowledge of what was going on. True. I think I think most of them are like people are aware. They're just making decisions and maybe they triaged incorrectly or whatever. I mean, maybe the best thing you do in fourth place is just telling other people what to remove and not doing it yourself. You know, your <laughs> removal is your words. Like clearly, we have to get rid of that thing. I mean, I, I was looking at the M twenty episode and Jimmy, you and Nerd Girl work so hard to get me under control. Yeah, and it, and you can directly see it as you watch it that that leads to Amaz winning. And because Amaz doesn't actually work that hard to get me under control. Yeah, he, he, waste... he makes the right play, right? He, well, and, and I don't even know if he means to do it. I mean, Amaz is good, so maybe he does. I think another lesson that I learned while doing this was how important seating position is. That mm -hmm. game right there comes down to, I believe, where Amaz is sitting. If you switch where Jimmy's sitting and Amaz are sitting in that game, if Amaz is to my left and Jimmy's to my right, I believe Jimmy wins this game. Because Amaz, it, it, what happens is Josh does something big and scary and becomes the threat and everyone's like, oh crap. Pastor. And it immediately goes to Jimmy's turn. And so Jimmy's forced now to deal with what I did. Then it goes to Nerd Girl's turn. Jimmy couldn't deal with everything I did, so she's chipping in what she can. Comes to Amaz's turn. He looks at my, Josh's board. Well, it's kind of under control now. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. Goes to Josh's turn. Josh does something big and scary. Goes to Jimmy's turn. Crap, I got to do something about <laughs> it. And that really, I think, is why at the end of that whole scrum, Amaz ends up in the lead. Again, I think I think Nerd Girl, unfortunately, because she was mana screwed, you can't switch her seat around and really it changes much for her. But I will say that if I, if, you know, knowing what I know now, if I'm in her position, I'm not actually chipping in and helping get yeah. rid of stuff very much. I'm like you, because I want to make a Moz use his resources. What she did is provide 
uh, just enough cover for Amaz to not have to use his answers. Yeah, and you know, big props to, I guess, her for helping out. And maybe it was me being a little too politicky to be like, I need as much help as possible and putting a lot of pressure on the person I passed. Well, you were right to do it because if you're going to use your resources, you you want her to use hers. And, and ideally, you want Amaz to use his. But yeah. the way that it rolled out is by the time it got to Amaz, he just didn't really have to. And so I think Nerd Girl's, you know, quote unquote right play again easy to say now at this point when we're looking at the game for the 50th time i didn't think of this until today yeah um but her best play might have been like i'm not actually going to use my removal amaz you got to help deal with yeah, it yeah i don't actually have anything. because i'm in fourth place here so if i start using my mana i'm never going to catch up either, i'm never right? going to be in this game which is exactly what happened so yeah, pretty interesting uh one thing i wanted to note uh before we close this all down and go to two of the listeners is that we did a type of episode like this once before um, where we took Game Night's episodes, uh, situations, and, and it's called Threat Assessment Case Studies. It's episode 183. So if you like this episode, we did this for the older episodes once. You should go check that out. Um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I, I think we said smart things. It seems like sometimes we do. Yeah, who knows? You know what? Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? <laughs> All right, two of the listeners, and we're sure you've already done this commenting already, but were there any Game Night's moments, extra turns moments, or even moments in your own games where you think someone made a bad decision-based mistake? I would love to know what line you would have taken in the Game Night's episodes, but also, you know, is this something that affected your play group? Is this something that you had to go talk to these people about afterwards? Is this a learning moment for everyone at the table? Let us know what has happened as a result of misplays, because I do believe, as Josh said, you learn more from the mistakes of others. You can there's a wise person. Whatever it was. Josh's quote. Imagine I just said it. Something about learning, being wise, and learning from other players' mistakes, yeah, yeah. and you become a better person. Hooray. I would encourage everybody out there to, you know, after your commander night or whatever, go through the games in your head because you're probably not on camera like we are. We, you know, we, Luckily, we have like this one game a month that we film yeah, and go right. over, over again. But if you don't do that, you can do it at the end of the night. Think through the plays. What could you have done differently? What was maybe an incorrect line that you took? You're going to learn and become a better player a lot more from that than by just never doing that. Yeah, and don't forget, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. So it's not a thing of like, it's your fault that this game ended like this. It's just a game. No need to get angry about it necessarily. Right? I love it when I find a mistake that I made. Like the Krim thing at the end of the Theros, when I realized, I was like, man... Yeah, I mean, I feel a little bad. Like, I wish I would have done that. But also, like, okay, this is good. Yeah, You know because, that now your future games are going to be better because yeah, you now, know this. Yeah, here's an additional thing I can think about and maybe we win more games or just play better Magic from here on out. And so yeah. you should feel good when you identify, like, a problem that or a mistake that you've you know, you've made or have been making. So Ben yeah. Stark made a really interesting comment on the stream the other day. Someone was asking, who's the best this player of all time? Or who's this person better than that person? And he's like, well, here's the thing. It's not like they have... Let's say Josh versus Craig. It's not like Josh has some secret knowledge that makes him a 20 times better player. Maybe Josh just has enough knowledge that out of 100 times they're making a decision, Josh makes the right choice 75 times out of 100, and Craig makes the right decision 70 times out of 100. The margins aren't huge, but these are the situations that help differentiate a better player over time. It's just like those small little things. It's not like some secret sauce. It's about learning from your mistakes. Yeah, the difference between like Paolo and like, you know, some other MPO player is probably not 20%. It's no, probably not even close, like yeah. 7%. Even yeah, though Paolo is one of the greatest players of all time and the other MPO player is a very good player, it's not like the gap is that huge. Congrats, by the way, Paolo. Congrats. He's pretty good at magic as it turns out. Hopefully we can get him on game nights at some point. We've been close, but the schedule, he lives in Brazil. We're trying. All right. Uh, something you should try to do. Order <laughs> all of your cards off of cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you order 
Maybe your unsanctioned products. Mm-hmm. Those new lands. Oh, uh, they do look sweet. sweet. Silver border cards are a lot of fun. Uh, we've been playing a little unmander uh, around the office, which is great. Uh, Theros, of course, is still out. There's a ton of stuff you probably haven't gotten from that set yet. You can get it all at cardkingdom.com slash commands. And when you use our affiliate link, you really are supporting this podcast, Game Nights, all of our content. And by purchasing Ultra Pro products, you are doing the same. And again, you can get Ultra Pro products pretty much everywhere at big box retailers, at your local game store, or on cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. They always make sweet play mats in every single set. There's, it's, it's no different. It's going to be something awesome. It's going to be something related to the set. So if you find that Theros was like your jam, it was the thing that you love the most, then why not decorate your battlefield a little bit more with some Theros product? Or if you're an unkind of person, well, hey, here you go. Unsanctioned is here, and you know for, for sure Ultra Pro is going to make some product for it, so check them out as well. All right, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Craig, you know the rules. I do. Guests have to come up with the end step. Yeah. We came up with that rule because we run out of end steps all the time. So what do you got? So I do have something to talk about. I do want to know quickly, though, how many people think the new Timmy is based off of Jimmy? Oh, the new card art (laughs) where I'm wearing a dinosaur uh, outfit? I don't know if it's me, but it kind of a little bit. A lot of people I want to know how many people think it's Jimmy. Maybe we should just ask the artist. Someone tweet at him. Please. But I've been watching McMillions. Oh, yeah. And on HBO. Awesome, awesome documentary. Right now, there's only three out. So by the time this airs, four I think there'll the be four. Yeah. How many total? Six? Six, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to NPR the other day, and Larry Mantle was talking about it. I think he said six. If you guys don't remember, back in the day, McDonald's ran a uh, <laughs> a Monopoly sort of tournament prize thing where you could buy Happy Meals, and you would get, or Big Macs or whatever, and you'd get little Monopoly pieces, like you're playing Monopoly. And if you got... Park Place and Broadway. and Broadway and like the last two, you would win a bunch of money. A million dollars. Yeah. So my parents would not, I was the type of uh, kid who was not allowed to go to McDonald's unless, like until I was a certain age, right? Until the Monopoly game hit. When the Monopoly game was going on, we were allowed to go to McDonald's. Because <laughs> everyone wanted to win, <laughs> well, right? But the, it was just like a fun gambling experience for kids. Like <laughs> The story that it, they Ooh. tell in this show, I've watched it too, obviously. Uh, it's kind of a true crime type of thing. It's right. Yeah. It's my jam. Um, <laughs> is that they came up with the Happy Meal. They hire a marketing company. They come up with the Happy Meal, which is for kids. And they go, okay, but we need the Happy Meal for adults. We need to get right. adults to want to come to McDonald's more. And Monopoly and those type of games were what they came up with. We didn't tell the story of what the podcast is. So it's called McMillions. Or the show, not podcast. Sorry, not the podcast. There is a podcast actually about the show, I think. Anyway. Oh, cool. Sorry. The show though, McMillions on HBO. Um, What it's about is the fact that the game was rigged. It was being, not by McDonald's. By someone else. But it had been infiltrated by some people. And basically nobody won the top prizes, the million dollar prizes, the cars, the houses, it was all negotiated. For like the first all... 10 years of the Monopoly game without these people directly handing them the winning pieces. No random person out there in the world won. They were in control of the whole thing. It's fascinating. Crazy. McMillions. Yeah, yeah. it's on HBO. It's, it looks fascinating. I actually passed by and I was going to start it the other day. You should yeah. definitely start it. It's really good. good. It's really interesting. And how deep it goes, it's just like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Like, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Give them an inch. They'll take... <laughs> I don't know, a mile. All right. <laughs> the cleanup step is time to shout out our editing, graphics, and logistics team here at the Command Zone podcast and Game Nights. Of course, we have Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Inger, Manson Long, Alfred Destaka, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, and Sam Waldo. Big family now. Love yeah. Those guys. Uh, a lot of you are going to have to be called in because we're going to have to cu- cut this podcast fairly quickly. Yep. So as soon as you're done here, I want you to get into the other bay and then gotta, start going. Putting because, this one together yeah. quick. I see a little editor in the bay. It is Craig. It is Craig working long, long hours. All right. 
<laughs> Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for doing the Living Cards animation. You can see him at the beginning and ending of our video episodes, as well as behind us here on set. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. It's also his uh, images that are our new background when we drop to the cards in the background. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're all the window images just sort of put together on our videos. So. Yeah. You may yeah. have noticed that your Kickstarter money has helped us put that together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for supporting us, as always. And thank you for listening and watching. We hope you uh, learned some... Learn some new lessons from the mistakes you may have made. All right, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com. Or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.